Guthrie provides integrated, clinically advanced services that prevent, diagnose, and treat disease within an environment of compassion, learning, and discovery. And in this spirit, we proudly present Guthrie Radio. Here's Bill Klaproth. If you have chronic heartburn or the feeling of food backing up in your esophagus, you may be suffering from gastroesophageal reflux disease or GERD. My guest today is Dr. Robert Finelli. He is the Chief of Minimally Invasive Surgery and Surgical Endoscopy at Guthrie. Dr. Finelli, thanks so much for being on with us today. So let's just jump in. What is GERD? Bill, thanks so much. It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, GERD is a constellation of symptoms that come from reflux disease. And the bottom line is this is the abnormal relocation of acid from the stomach up into the esophagus. Everybody has that to a certain extent, but when someone has GERD, they're having that continuously, uh, sometimes during the day, sometimes during the night, and and when it's at its worst, uh, day and night. Okay, so acid reflux occasionally, now and then, is okay. It's not GERD, but when it becomes chronic, that's when it's potentially GERD. Right. Everybody gets heartburn once in a while. You know, they overeat or they eat something that's particularly spicy or something like that. But the person who has GERD, it's more than heartburn. It's that uh, they've got a real situation where there's mechanical failure of some of the anatomical components, the the valve between the stomach and the esophagus, for example, where that acid is just uh, jumping up in the esophagus all the time and bathing the esophagus. And uh, it's it's really a miserable thing. In fact, if you look at quality of life studies, People who have reflux disease have the same quality of life impact as those who have kidney failure, congestive heart failure, certain advanced infections or cancers, and uh, it really can make someone feel quite miserable. So this is more than just an annoyance for people that have GERD. I mean, this is a serious problem that can affect quality of life. It does affect quality of life, and um, it can range and, uh, and run the gamut from um, just that to also causing other diseases. You know, some people who have reflux disease then end up converting some of their cells into something called Barrett's esophagus, which is a uh, precancerous change that happens in the esophagus that makes the risk of getting esophageal cancer even greater. Um, and some people get uh, manifestations that are uh, not even involved with the esophagus. For example, um, chest pain really coming from the esophagus, but they think they're having a heart attack and they're in the emergency department all the time, or hoarseness or changes in their voice related to what we call LPR, laryngopharyngeal reflux. And how often does that happen, Barrett's esophagus? Does this happen quite often or is this more a rarer form? No, Barrett's esophagus is actually seen uh, fairly often. Uh, It depends on what population you look at. If you look at the general population, the occurrence is uh, quite low, but if you look at the population of people who already have reflux and, and we know they have reflux, it could be uh, somewhere between 10 and 15 or 18 percent, depending again on how you select folks out for, for evaluation. And let's break this down then. So what symptoms might a person feel on a regular basis and how often would they feel this that would send up a red flag and they would come to see you? So reflux disease uh, is something that usually bothers people persistently and um, not something that happens just occasionally. So in other words, if someone gets heartburn and they have that 
um, oh, I don't know, say they have it for two days in a row and then six months go by and they, they might get heartburn for another one or two or three days, that's probably not reflux or very serious reflux. But the kind of reflux patients that I'm seeing are those who are having these symptoms at least three days out of five, um, and sometimes they're having them every single day. Uh, the first approach is usually that they'll try an over-the-counter medication. It might even just be antacids in tablet form or liquid form, um, and they'll get some relief from that, but it's, uh, it's short-lived. It's not long-lasting. And what food or lifestyle decisions uh, exacerbate this acid reflux where it turns into GERD? Well, Bill, you know, the first thing that I'm going to tell you, right, it's, uh, it's cigarette smoking. Tobacco use, um, really in any form, but particularly inhaled uh, forms of tobacco um, with its uh, direct negative effects of nicotine and, and the other inhaled components in uh, cigarette smoke, really damaging to the esophagus, to the airways, to, to all of these structures in the, in the upper digestive tract. Uh, so smoking has to go. Um, overeating or eating too close to bedtime, that's another no-no. Uh, because what happens is the stomach is overfull, and then when we lie down, the whole the whole stomach esophagus assembly is then flat. And if that valve is compromised, even to a minor degree, with a stomach that's very full, it's going to just overflow back up into the esophagus. Carbonated beverages are another uh, food choice that uh, really should be eliminated when somebody's having reflux or or uh, even garden variety heartburn, because. Uh, what's happening there is those drinks are acidic by nature, and they also are volume expanders. When you when you drink soda, for example, those bubbles will expand in the stomach, and so they increase the volume of uh, liquid and other material that's in the stomach and encourage reflux to happen more commonly. So if you cut these things out of your diet and you quit smoking, you should be able to control this a little bit. If If you do cut those out, and you're still suffering from it, then what are the treatment options? So if you looked at 100 people who had reflux, uh, you would expect that these um, type 1 maneuvers or behavioral modifications, as we call them, uh, you know, that is eliminating uh, caffeine, tobacco, carbonated beverages, and eating a lower-fat diet than normal in a lower volume and not eating for four hours before you're going to lie down, uh, about 10 to 12% of people should expect to have significant improvement of their symptoms based on that. So 10 or 12 out of that group of 100 people with reflux. The next line of therapy is going to be a trial of medication. And so for, for young people, for people in their 20s and 30s and maybe their early 40s, particularly if they don't have any risk factors or family history of, uh, of cancers of the esophagus or the stomach, uh, then it's safe to try uh, a uh, type of medication called a proton pump inhibitor or a PPI. Uh, those are common things that we've all heard of, like Prilosec and Nexium and Protonics and Prevacid and those kinds of things. And so they may see their doctor and get a prescription for a trial period of those. And uh, they do a great job. About 65% of people who have reflux will respond to both the dietary modification and the medication uh, together. When people have persistent symptoms, uh, those that are partially relieved by the medication or they get great relief from the medication initially, but then it seems like they get used to it almost after a few months and their symptoms uh, start to happen more commonly. Those are folks that we like to see in a specialty practice like mine because it's going to take more than medication. It's going to take some further evaluation, and then it's going to take choosing the right therapy, which could be surgery or could be an endoscopic therapy. And what is endoscopic therapy? What, what does that entail? 
So for years, uh, those of us in in, uh, the field of gastrointestinal surgery uh, have sought less and less invasive ways of treating things. And so um, endoscopic therapies are those things that are delivered through a natural body opening. So either through the mouth or, or uh, you know, for, for this problem, certainly anything dealing with the esophagus would be introduced through the mouth. Uh, and there are certain therapies that might be introduced for other problems down through the rectum. Um, regarding uh, upper GI uh, techniques, there have been a slew of devices and, and procedures over the years that have been developed trying to be the remedy for reflux disease. And many of them haven't really passed muster. They haven't done a good job relieving the symptoms uh, or they never got to a point where uh, people felt that they worked better than their medication. But there are really two uh, endoluminal options right now, um, and both are promising. One is called the Strata procedure, uh, and that's the procedure that we offer here at Guthrie. And the other is called TIF, or transoral incisionless fundoplication. Uh, that's a little bit more involved than for a very selected uh, patient population. That's one that we don't think fits fits in very well with our multidisciplinary program here, so we've chosen not to offer that right now. Very interesting. It sounds like the uh, you're advancing in trying to come up with potential um, relief and or cures. Is there such a thing as a cure for this? Yeah, the gold standard in, in treating reflux is what's called a laparoscopic Nissen fundoplication, which is an operation that's done laparoscopically, so uh, through four uh, one-quarter-inch incisions on the abdominal wall and then a smaller fifth incision for a a retraction device uh, that's placed during surgery, we're able to surgically correct a hiatal hernia by reuniting the muscles that have become separated in the diaphragm and uh, create what's called a fundoplication or a wrap. Uh, Easiest way to think of it is we use a floppy part of the upper portion of the stomach to wrap around the esophagus. It's an awful lot like if you put a turtleneck on and you have that doubled over layer of fabric around your neck. Uh, This fundoplication is uh, a double layered piece of uh, tissue wrapped around the lower esophagus. And the way it works is that that wrap communicates with the stomach. And so as someone uh, begins to eat when their stomach is empty, it's wide open. But as the stomach gets more and more full, that wrap collects fluid and gases and things like that and starts to pinch in on the esophagus a little bit. So it's a progressive valve. It keeps things from flowing backward from the stomach back up into the esophagus. Uh, And it's working very well. Yeah, so it closes it off as you eat then. That's exactly right. Yeah, and this is is an operation first uh, was done in 1956. Uh, Several changes over the years leading up to 1991 when it uh, began Uh, being done laparoscopically, and I've been doing it laparoscopically since 1992 when I came out of my fellowship. So if behavioral modifications and the Prilosex don't work, so then is this a last resort then? It's a last resort in the sense that we try all of those more conservative things first because we want to offer patients the least invasive treatment that's available. It's not a last resort uh, option in the sense that if someone had reflux for 40 years and and um, neglected it or or really they needed to move on from medication much earlier, it is possible that after a lot of acid exposure, the esophagus just doesn't work properly anymore, in which case they might no longer be a candidate for the operation because things may have gotten too far along. 
Sounds good. Dr. Finelli, thank you so much for being out with us today. So why should someone choose Guthrie for their GERD needs? Well, you know, I, I think it's for all the reasons that we've talked about. You know, I've, um, I've talked about the topic in general, but uh, I have a lot of colleagues here who share my interest and passion for reflux disease and, and trying to relieve people from that misery. Uh, and uh, across all departments, uh, gastroenterology, uh, ear, nose, and throat uh, surgery, general surgery, uh, radiology, and um, we all work together to take care of these patients. And, and I can tell you that a multidisciplinary approach is always the best approach to most disease processes. Uh, it's the old uh, two heads are better than one uh, kind of approach. And in this situation, we have an opportunity to really discuss the specifics of every individual patient and come up with a treatment plan that's tailored for them. Sounds good. Dr. Finelli, thank you again for your time. We really appreciate it. For more information, please visit Guthrie.org. That's Guthrie.org. I'm Bill Klaproth, and this is Guthrie Radio. Thanks for listening.